Amen, amen. Good morning, Transit Church. How's everyone doing today? Anyone here actually enjoying the cold this weekend? Probably, uh, yeah. I got to be honest, last night I was looking at the weather and I was like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bust out this flannel out of early retirement and it's going to be awesome. So, uh, well, praise the Lord if you're here with us for the first time. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, we're really glad you're here. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Nick, one of the pastors at the Transit. And uh, as that bumper showed, we have been going the past couple of months through the, the book of Acts. And where we find ourselves today is in Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through 26, Acts 5, 17 through 26. So if you have your Bibles, turn there, turn them on. Uh, that's where we're going to be camping out. And if you were here uh, last week, we were in Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. And we saw this beautiful picture where the apostles, filled with the Holy Spirit, set up kind of like a 10 revival meeting of sorts right outside the temple proper at this place called Solomon's Portico. And we have this beautiful four, four to five verse picture of what it looks like when the kingdom of heaven invades the earth. Multitudes were coming to saving faith in Christ Jesus. The sick, the lame were being healed. The demonized were being set free. And it was just, it was amazing, okay? And the reason we go through books of the Bible have the transit and not really focus on topical messages. Because if I were to come before you today and earlier this week think about what, what topical message do I want to preach, I'd camp out in Acts 5, 12 through 16, right? Because that's amazing. The kingdom coming in power and signs and wonders and the power of the spirit. But why we go through books of the Bible is because what we see here, what we learn about the Christian life is that's not the end of the story for the apostles. If we stopped our sermon series uh, or just did a topical sermon on signs and wonders and, and what it means to operate in the power of the Spirit, we have a distorted view of what it means to follow Jesus. Because what we're looking at through this sermon series and what we see is that, yes, we believe following Jesus uh, is to be accompanied with uh, his kingdom advancing through the power of the Spirit and signs and wonders. And yes, following Jesus will be accompanied with extreme hardship and difficulty as well. Following Jesus will be accompanied with extreme difficulty and hardship as well. Because what immediately follows this sort of revival meeting of sorts at Solomon's portico is arrest, persecution, opposition, physical beating, and death threats. That's what the apostles get uh, from the religious authorities as they press into that. And often... In the church in America today, in the West today, where we're not too familiar what, with, with what like, real-time persecution looks like, is <clears throat> when it comes to this idea of following Jesus as being difficult or extremely uh, filled with extreme hardship, it's kind of lost on us because when we face difficulty or when we face opposition following Jesus, we often are stunned and confused as if something strange is happening to us. Like, Jesus, where was this in the fine print? When I signed the dotted line to surrender my life to you, I thought it was all gumdrops and lollipops until I go to glory, right? And uh, a common refrain that I hear in kind of my counseling sessions and all this stuff, and, and I'm right there with you, right? Like it should, it should kind of stagger us and confuse us, but some people, especially kind of recent converts to the faith, I had a recent appointment this week about this, where when I came, the person said, when I came to know Jesus, these past couple of years have actually been the most difficult years of my life, coming to know Jesus. And the reason why is this, if you're asking, well, why, why is that the case? Well, coming to know Jesus, when Jesus saves you, and if, uh, if your life is a boat and you're on the river navigating uh, the waters of life, Jesus comes and he reverses the direction that you're headed, right? So now 
What was once in your, 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 uh, your, your the, the, once you were flowing towards the waterfall of destruction and Jesus comes, he saves you and he turns the boat around because eternal glory is now upstream. It's the opposite direction. The world and the flesh and the devil are flowing. Does that make sense? So to follow Jesus, you're actually going upstream. Your destination has changed. Glory is awaiting you, but it's an upstream climb until you get to glory. And meanwhile, you're commissioned to tell everyone else who's floating past you towards the structure saying there's death that awaits you, but there's eternal life upstream. And so the world, the flesh, and the devil, just the way the current of the world is flowing, their job, not their job necessarily, but you will have people come against the church, come against you personally, who are going to try to change your boat, try to change the direction of your boat. Does that make sense? Okay. So with that said, if you are here today and a Christian, take good courage. If your shoulders are burning from rowing and you're like, I'm facing opposition, the current seems uh, stronger. If your eyes are watering because the waves are crashing, your vision's kind of blurry of the gospel and of Jesus resurrected. And uh, you got bruises on your arms where people are coming against you to flip your boat and turn you around. Be of good courage. You're heading in the right direction. You're heading in the right direction, right? And I think oftentimes we, we, we've lost this. And so whenever we face opposition, we, and sometimes you can face opposition for being a fool and you need to repent, okay? Like, like that's one of the things. But oftentimes when we face opposition following Jesus, that might be a great sign we're heading in the right direction. Opposition might be a great sign we're headed in the right direction. And so all that to say for the next two weeks, we're gonna be finishing out Acts chapter five. And what we see in the rest of Acts chapter five is the opposition. The tide of opposition is rising against the church against the gospel going forth. And so today we're looking at the, the, the apostles get arrested, miraculously released, and then rearrested. And then next week, we get kind of a live stream view of the trial uh, that is to come. And so with that said, we're gonna pray and then uh, dive on in here. So Heavenly Father, we just come before you, Lord Jesus, just so grateful um, for your love and for your grace and for your mercies that are new every morning, God, that your love is a firm foundation to build our lives upon. Thank you, Jesus. Would you open our eyes, Holy Spirit, to see Jesus high and lifted up, exalted, enthroned? Would you return to us the wonder and affection and adoration for our King? Would you come, Holy Spirit, and speak through me and apply this word to our hearts? May you soften our hearts to receive what you have in store for us. May we leave here softened and not hardened, repentant and yielding and not stiff-necked and stubborn, Lord Jesus. And so we just pray, Holy Spirit, for you to come. And we ask, Lord Jesus, in this time, the next 30 minutes or so, that your name would be made great and glorified and your kingdom would come. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, we're going to go through this verse by verse. So verse 17 through 18, and then we'll dive in here. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. So stop right there. So quick history lesson to understand what's going on here. Uh, in first century Israel, Israel had kind of a supreme court, a ruling body of sorts made up of 70 individuals uh, mixed up between Pharisees and Sadducees, kind of your political right and your political re religious left, okay? And that's council. That 70 were kind of the, the legal religious experts of the day and age. They were led by the high priest. So I'll just say the Sanhedrin 
uh, were these 71 dudes who made it to the, 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 the top rung of the religious and political, uh, political ladder in ancient Israel. They saw themselves in a way as guardians of the galaxies, right? As guardians, guardians of the temple, guardians of the most holy, sacred place on the planet earth, guardians of the sacred scriptures, guardians of Judaism itself, guardians of the people of God in their nation. They were the guardians, okay? So every day the Sanhedrin would hold court besides the Sabbath and festivals. They would hold, hold court every single day for legislation and to dispute legal matters, so on and so forth. So all that to say, a whole lot was at stake for these 70 guys for what was taking place in Solomon's portico. Right out front, uh, right outside the front door of the temple proper, uh, the Holy Spirit was moving in power and a great following was happening. A whole lot was at stake. The implications for them with what the apostles were doing in Solomon's portico was this. Essentially, if we don't stop this Jesus thing from growing, one, Judaism as we know it will become obsolete. It will become obsolete. Secondly, well, to, to lay the play into their hearts, we'll be broke and unemployed, right? And won't be able to feed our kids because they have no skills besides, you know, being religious experts from, you know, uh, day one, memorizing the Torah and so on and so forth. Like Judaism becomes obsolete. We're unemployed. I got to work at Home Depot and whatever to provide for my family. And, uh, and so all that to say is that what uh, the author Luke inspired through the Holy Spirit is showing us here is that this threat was so real to all 71 of these guys that there was a bipartisanship agreement. There was unity across political divides. And that's what he says in verse 17. He says, all who were with the high priest. And he's like, side note, you won't believe this, including the Sadducees, right? That's what he's like. It's like, hey, side note here, across the aisle, joint like coalition, let's destroy and stop this Jesus thing from moving forward. But what scripture also teaches us, Luke inspired through the Holy Spirit, is the hypocrisy of the Sanhedrin. That at face value, they saw themselves as, you know, the guardians of Judaism and the temple and the sacred scriptures. They saw themselves as that. But what the scripture says in verse 17, what we just read, is they were filled with jealousy. They're filled with jealousy. What threatened, what they, what, what they cared most about was their pride being threatened not their Lord, not their, uh, their, their religion. It was the fact that um, their pride got a little wounded by these guys. And, and you kind of catch a whiff of high school drama with that, right? And like imagine the 71, like I didn't grow up playing football. I played hockey, but football, if you play football, you, there's like 71 dudes on a football team. It's ridiculous. Like there's like three guys to back up every, every position you have. There's like 200 people on the sideline. You have like 50 coaches. It's crazy, okay? So imagine the Sanhedrin, if we're back in high school drama days, the Sanhedrin, they're the 71 cool senior varsity football players. They got the cool jackets. And every Friday, they're throwing a party at their parents' house, okay? And because we're in church, it's a root beer keg party. They're playing the Christian music. Okay, one of those parties, okay? But everyone looked up to them in the school. They would come to their... <laughs> That made me laugh earlier. Anyway, sorry. Uh, um, anyone here go to a root beer kegger in college? That's what got my wife, my wife discipled was, uh, anyways, on her way to a frat party and a uh, crew had, uh, were, was handing out uh, freezy pops and they're like, come to a root beer kegger. And they're like, what's that? Come and find out. And then, anyway, so don't dog on it. Don't dog on it. Anyways, um, and uh, 
So, so all, everyone from the school is coming. These are the cool guys. And picture this. There's some new guys that move into town. 12 dudes, Galilean fishermen, freshmen, 12 freshmen. And, uh, and, and the, 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 the leader of the freshmen, Peter, moves in a couple houses down. And all of a sudden, the freshmen are throwing parties on the same night. And, and you can hear the, the, the cheers and the laughter and so on and so forth. And the people that used to come to the parties for the seniors are now going to the freshmen's party, right? Anyone here watch The Office, Michael Scott? It's like when the, the freshmen throw a party and don't invite the seniors. Anyway, I remember that line. Anyways, so the freshmen now, these 12 Galilean fishermen, are collecting this huge following from the same night of the week, the same party. You can hear the cheers, the excitement, where people are getting saved and healed and delivered, and multitudes are, are gathering and following these 12 fishermen. And people would come into uh, the, 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 senior, the senior's party, and they go, and they're like, where's everyone at? This, is, this got kind of lame. Where's everyone at? And they're looking and, and like they're, they, you know, they're kind of twiddling their thumbs. They're like, hey, well, and, and then they're hearing, they're hearing the excitement and they're actually leaving. I, I think the attendance is a little bit low in the temple. And I think word is getting back to the Sanhedrin of people who are so excited. They're coming back and reporting what's happening. You won't believe what is happening outside the temple. And the bigger picture we get here, watch this. The bigger picture we get here, listen, is that the spirit of God is no longer contained to the Holy of Holies in the temple. That's, that's the message that's being sent right outside the temple proper. The spirit of God is being poured out and his kingdom is coming. Okay, that's the bigger picture is watch this. For the 71 Sanhedrin on the, on the, the day Jesus was crucified and cried out, it is finished. The veil uh, uh, of the Holy of Holies was cut in two, loosing the presence of God, loosing the presence of God to the human hearts that were sanctified and saved by the blood of the lamb. Loosing him out of the Holy Holy. So watch this. These 71 Sanhedrin had to pay a contractor to either repair or stitch back up that torn veil. And outside, and outside, I don't, that's not scriptural, but anyways, but they, like that's what's happening here, right? The veil was torn. These guys had to oversee the repairing or the replacement of that torn veil. And, 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 and we're seeing the spirit of God break out outside the temple. That's huge. The temple becoming obsolete because the people of God, the church is now the temple God's, where God's uh, place, his glory dwells, his spirit dwells. Okay, it's no longer contained. So that's huge. And so returning to our text, these uh, 71 senior varsity squad Sanhedrin, their pride was wounded, wounded, their following was threatened. And so they do uh, what any high school bullies do, you know, like the karate kid bullies, the new kid comes, he's really cool, gets a following, and they send, they, they, they bully him, right? They arrest them. They, they, they rough them up a little bit. So they send some, some temple police officers and they arrest not just Peter and John this time, they arrest, it says, the apostles. So we're not sure if it's all 12 of them, but it certainly is more than Peter and John. It's a, it's, a, it's a vast majority of them. And they put them in prison. They put them in prison. And then our text continues, verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. And so initially when you, you read this, you're like, wow, this is pretty awesome, right? Like a rescue mission from heaven, like SEAL Team 6, angels loose from heaven, you know, kicking open prison doors and, and leading them out, right? It's amazing. It's awesome. Now listen, um, the picture we need to get out of our head is that this is a rescue mission. We do not... Um, Get the picture out of your head of, you know, SEAL Team 6 coming in and these frightened, terrified, 
apostles, you know, cowering their head beneath the chopper blades, you know, and they're being airlifted to safety. That's not what's happening here. That's not what's happening here. This is not a rescue mission for victims of persecution. What this is, is this is a, a, a release of the Lord's lions out of the cage back into the battle. That's what that is. That's what that is. There is no chopper to safety, okay? It's the Lord looking at some angel and his counsel and saying, hey, those lions, I don't want them caged for longer than 24 hours. You go loose them and listen, watch this. You know, angels are messengers. Angelus in the Greek means messenger. One of their primary functions is, to, is heavenly USPS, heavenly postal service. We see throughout scriptures, they deliver messages to God's people. This isn't a message, okay? It's a mission they give the apostles. A message, and it is, it is a message, but just bear with me for, for message, mission, start with M, it works, it works all right? Um, it's not a message in this, in this. They don't come to the 12 saying, let me hug you, do not fear, be strong and courageous, your Lord is with you, you're safe now. That's not it at all, that's not it at all. We can't read into the text uh, the apostles here being cowering in fear. Because the message given to them is they're kind of chopping at the bit and saying, come on, they're waiting for heaven to open the doors because they want to get back into the battle. They want to get back into the thick of it. They want to destroy the works of the devil, which Jesus commissioned them to do. They want to advance the kingdom of God in power. And so when the angel comes and says, hey boys, here's your message. I'm letting you go. Get a good night's sleep. Kiss your loved ones goodnight, brew some coffee in the morning, and you go right back into the thick of the battle, go to the temple and proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ resurrected and his kingdom coming. And I imagine the apostles, Peter, when they see the angel and, uh, and, and they get the mission, not the message, the mission given to them, they get a big smile on their face, grinning ear to ear and saying, I'd hope you'd say that. I'd hope you'd say that. That's, this blew my mind. I, this blew my mind. You can, you can, you can read it as a, a rescue mission for whatever. It is a mission. It is a loosing of the Lord's lions back into the battle. They don't miss a day of ministry. Not a day. Oh, it's beautiful. These were some, these were some dangerous dudes for the kingdom of God. These, they were some dangerous dudes. Like, listen, when we looked at last week, looking at what was happening in Solomon's portico, okay, the kingdom of God coming in power through their faithful obedience, empowerment of the spirit, the sick being healed, the demonized being set free, the lost being saved, okay? So for you military people, like, oh, oh, Lord haste the day. Like, you know, when we get to glory, you know, you always wonder if you can watch some game film back in the day of like, see. But anyways, I would love if we could get the intel on like the unseen realm, like the kingdom of darkness, the, the, the radio communications that were taking place with what was happening at Solomon's portico, it would be frantic, fear-based, like, confusion, okay? Like, like, comms going up to, you know, higher authorities, like, we don't know what's happened. This person I'm with, uh, uh, I just lost Jimmy. Jimmy just got cast out of this person. This person, we just lost this soul. This person's getting saved. This person, now they're coming for me. Send help, you know? Like, that's what's happening, right? A frantic dismantling and destroying of the kingdom, like a nuclear bomb is Solomon's portico, a nuclear bomb against the kingdom of darkness. That's what's happening. These are some dangerous dudes for the kingdom of God. The Lord was doing some powerful things. The kingdom was advancing mightily through them. And so they're grinning ear to ear. They're loose from their cage to go right 
back to the battle, which I believe is right where they want it to be. Right where they want it to be. We don't need another night's sleep. Let's get after it, boys. Let's go get them. Let's go be used by the Lord to heal, heal the sick, save the lost, set the afflicted free. Like, let's go. And so they go. And let me just say this. Um, man, what would it look like in our lives if we had that same mindset about advancing the kingdom? Right? Oh, Lord, give us that grace of some good gospel grit. You know? Of like, when we understand, like, this is what I love about going through Acts, that the same spirit that filled and indwelt the apostles is the same Holy Spirit inside of us. If we know the power and the authority that we walk in and that we are dangerous in the best sense of the term for the kingdom of God, that it would change, it would change, right? When we look to the line of Judah and see the power and the, 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 the fame and the, the power in the name of Jesus Christ and his power to break into the present and to radically set free and say, it would change our minds. This is what I love about what Joe Workman preached last month after he got back from a, a trip to the Middle East with a team he was with. He goes, the refrain was this, was we get to do this. We get to do this. Grinning ear to ear, put me in coach, refrain. Put me in coach. Here I am, King Jesus, put me in. Let's go. Let's advance the kingdom in power and in grace and in love. Um, and so returning to our text, God's lions are loose from the cage. They get a good night's sleep. And when the sun peeks over the horizon, they go right back to the temple, right outside the temple, Solomon's portico, and they continue to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, crucified and resurrected to save sinners and to advance his kingdom of restoration to the ends of the earth. And then this is what happens next. I love, I love what happened next. Verse 21. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. And now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. This picture is hilarious, okay? Uh, the courtroom is ready. The Sanhedrin, you know, their hair is slicked back. They got their tie, suit and tie, their legal pads ready, their cross-examination questions ready. And, uh, you know, they've been in the mirror last night preparing their opening remarks for this courtroom session. And they, these religious experts are so ready to just fillet these 12 uneducated Galilean fishermen. They're just ready to just bring the noise, right? And then they send, they send this poor guy, this officer, to uh, the jail and he goes to the jail, and they go, they're gone. Ain't nobody there, right? And he has to come back. He has to come back without 12 prisoners behind him and stand before the whole council and say, and say these words. They're not there. I, I, I checked the dirt. There's no tunnels dug underneath. I checked the ductwork. No one's creeping out through the ductwork. Uh, the, the, the prison was locked. The guards were there. They are gone. I don't know where they're at. And then I love the reaction of the Sanhedrin. It says this, uh, this is so funny. They were greatly perplexed about this, wondering what would come about this. And what just happened there is that the 71, in the game of cat, cat and mouse, the 71 cats who were trying to chase down the 12 mice of the apostles, in an instant, the sovereign king of kings and lord of lords, lords turns the, turned the cats into mice. Turned the cats into mice. He done humbled the proud. Humbled the proud. He shook them up a little bit, Okay. So much so that we see they changed their game plan a little bit at the trial. Well, Gamaliel, we'll see this next week, kind of says, hey, we might be up against the Lord himself with this. 
we might be up against the Lord himself, okay? These dudes just, just like, you know, Star Trek transported out of a jail cell, and they're back to, we need to rethink our strategy here and what we're up against, okay? And so um, often, when it comes to persecution that rises, that arises, especially from governing authorities, um, it can seem like we are a bunch of mice, and the cats are against us, and they're going to devour us, right? And, and listen, the threat in Iran and China and some of these places with oppressive regimes is absolutely real and horrific, okay? And for our context here in the West, we do see a growing hostility against the church and trends and trajectories, excuse, wow, excuse me, sorry, trends and trajectories look like uh, we very well might be censored. The gospel might be deemed hate speech. It might be illegal to preach the gospel. You could be, I could be arrested for being a pastor. If I don't change my language, you know, whatever. Like that, that might happen, okay? And the reason I want to address this and press into this is because it concerns me that the church in the West is so obsessed with the cats that are against this agenda. Oh, it's going to, oh, this agenda, you know, whatever. Like, okay, okay. We, so we hyper-focus. We, we, one, we think we're mice in this game when in fact we're the redeemed of God. And then, and then secondly, we hyper, what you focus on grows. So if you're consuming news and you're con- consuming conspiracy theories and blog posts and you're not looking to Christ, you're gonna, ma- you're gonna over-magnify a threat that's not actually there to advancing the kingdom, okay? And so we need to stop hyper-focusing on the cats of persecution and, and look to the line of Judah who's sovereign over that, amen? And I think there's a welling up in that, yes, okay? Because that's what we see here is we see the sovereign Lord make a fool out of the governing authorities who are coming against his church. This is what he says in Matthew 16, 18. It just, it, it's so staggering to me that the church is in such a tissy in the West. They're like, oh, you are freaking out. Do you know who your king is? Do you know our king is enthroned? Okay, our candidate is enthroned forever. The candidate that we have a dog in the fight with, the, the candidate that we give our lives to, the candidate that we, that we preach and advance and teach about is King Jesus. Our candidate is enthroned. He'll forever be enthroned, and his kingdom will advance against all other kingdoms, okay? And so when we focus on that, what we see in our text is that the Lion of Judah is king over kings. He's Lord over lords. And so when the religious leaders come to persecute the church, his gospel will go, for, go forth in the face of that persecution. The church is on fire in Iran. The church is, 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 is massive. It's huge in China, okay? Matthew 16, 18. This is a promise of our Savior. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, Jesus says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's a promise from our king that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, his gospel going forth. Now listen, two things here. Gates are defensive mechanisms to protect your city. So the church is to be offensively advancing, sieging the kingdom of darkness. We're not to be on the defensive, we're to be on the offensive, sieging, right? Getting loose, getting liberated to go be agents of liberation. And then secondly, there's a promise here of Jesus saying, hell is not gonna prevail against you. And what Jesus is saying here is that there's nothing any earthly kingdom can do to stop our king and his kingdom from going forth. So yes, there will be persecution. Yes, there will be arrest. Yes, there will be continual martyrdom. But the gospel will go forth and his kingdom will advance. And here's one of the most beautiful things we see. One of the most beautiful things I think we see in our text, verse 25 through 26. And someone came rushing in and told them, look, the man whom you put in prison 
are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force. Now who's afraid? Who's afraid? Apostles, we don't get one instance of the apostles having fear here. It was the Sanhedrin who's afraid. They were afraid now that the people would stone them, would stone them. So to recap what we take, uh, what we see here, is there some first century Paul Revere riding in on horseback coming into the Sanhedrin? Look, exclamation points. Oh, we found the guys we lost. And it's like, hey, great detective work, Sherlock. You found them right where they were yesterday. Like, congratulations, bro. Like, you know, oh, oh, you are a genius. Like, how long did it take you to figure that one out, okay? They're, they're in the exact same spot, doing the exact thing, same thing. You saw them do not 24 hours earlier, okay? Congratulations, okay? Give yourself a pat on the back, okay? So he rushes in. He's breathless. Oh, we found him. And then they go. They don't arrest him. They kind of gently lead them. Hey, oh, you need to come back to court, you know, whatever. They bring him back to court. And listen, this is what I want to hone in on. It's so beautiful here is that um, it seems as if in our text, the apostles don't give a second mind, don't give a second glance, don't give any attention to the governing authorities that are bringing persecution against them. It seems as if, the beautiful picture that we get here, it seems as if they dismiss them as inconsequential to the kingdom of God advancing. Let me say that again. It seems as if they dismiss the governing authorities as inconsequential to the kingdom of God advancing. They got, a, they got a mission. We've all gotten the same commission. Go make disciples of all nations. And this, this is what Jesus told us to do, so we're going to go do it. And, and they, they kind of brush off the persecution. They brush off the governing authorities so much so that the religious leaders come back and they go, oh, you're back. We're, we're busy doing some kingdom advancement work. What do you, oh, you need us to come with you? Okay, yeah, we'll come with you. Okay, how long is this thing going to last? Yeah, we're going to continue to preach God. You, you can let us loose. You can do what you want. We're going we're gonna, to, okay, yeah, okay, you do your thing. And they just go do their thing. They go obey their, they don't, they're not so consumed, obsessed. They're not running away in anger. Uh, or no, they're not running away in fear. They're not running towards in anger, trying to burn down and vilify. They're just ignoring it. And they're being about their father's business. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And so that's how our text today ends. They get set free. They go right back to the doorstep of the temple and they preach the gospel, the words of life. The word of life who became flesh and dwelt among us. The bread of life, the resurrection and the life, the author of life, the sustainer of our lives, the giver of undeserved eternal life to sinners. Jesus Christ is the message they're preaching. His death, his resurrection, the king who left his throne the lamb that was slain, the king enthroned forever, the Messiah, Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. And I'll conclude with this, is uh, when the detective comes with his magnifying glass, the Sherlock Holmes in our text, uh, and he's looking at the footsteps of where the apostles went, their footsteps went in one direction. The, the apostolic footsteps, the footsteps of the early church we see throughout Acts, the footsteps, the feet, of the body of Christ, they went to the lost. They went to the broken. They went to the, to the diseased. They went to the demonized. They went to those who are very messy and need the beautiful hope and the news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And their feet, what we see here, if you were to kind of, the detective were to follow and trace, retrace their footsteps, 
it would be the exact same footsteps of Jesus Christ. The apostles going and proclaiming and ministering the exact way Jesus Christ came. People coming in with their mess of sin, relieving with the gospel preached and forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God, knowing God, having a relationship with him, and that God coming and restoring them to fullness of life everlasting in him. In Romans 10, and I'll conclude this, Romans 10, 14 through 15 says this, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And I love this last line. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. What beautiful feet look like, they look a lot like the callous, dirty feet of Jesus Christ. God taking on flesh, dwelling among us, walking our roads, walking into our mess, not keeping his distance from us, but getting close enough to us to bear our sins so that those feet would, have, would be nail-scarred feet out of sacrificial love to save us from our sins. That's what beautiful feet look like. And all of us, because of those feet, because of the feet of our precious Savior who has come close to us, the direction his feet walked, the feet of our Savior, was to each and every one of you in your mess. This is why we were even, our backs opposed to Jesus, his feet were walking towards us. And, and his, his pursuit of us was a costly pursuit. It cost him his life. It cost him the forsakenness of the Father. It was costly. And as he got close, he approached us in our mess and he took our mess upon himself so that he could give us newness of life because he is the way, the truth, and the life, the giver of eternal life and life abundantly, John 10, 10 says. Jesus Christ says that he came, the reason he came was to give you life and life abundantly. So he comes, he approaches you in your mess and he takes your mess from you, your sins, your regrets, your failures, your shortcomings, and he says, credit that to my account. Put it all on me. Put it on my shoulders. Let me take the hit for you so you can be washed clean, cleansed, forever forgiven, forever in union and relationship with God. And you can have peace both now in your heart, knowing that you're forgiven and peace forever with God, knowing that you will, you will reign and rule with him for all of eternity in his presence. Those are the feet of Jesus. The war-torn, messy, nail-scarred feet that marched towards us on the cross. And the only thing he asks is as we behold his beauty and we receive that forgiveness, that our feet would look like his. They would go the same place. And I really feel like in this season, Transit Church, this is kind of a, a member, a quick member meeting discussion here. If there was, a, you know, the seven letters in the church, uh, in, in Revelation to the seven churches, if there was a letter written by King Jesus to the Transit Church, I really feel like he's inviting us into, into this to have some beautiful feet again right, with what he's stirring up this year, I really feel like he's saying, hey, that the shoes of the gospel of peace. Yeah, I, think he's, I think he's excited with us, kind of bringing those out of the closet, dusting those off, polishing those a little bit, and in faith, pressing into being in our community and praying for the lost to be found and to, save, to be saved. And so I think that would be the message of our Savior, to let's, let's have some beautiful feet again. How beautiful are those feet that bring the words of life? to those in desperate need of that.
And so let's take a moment in prayer. I'll invite the band up. I'll give you time, just a time to go, um, go to your Savior in prayer right now. So as the band comes up here and plays, um, use this time. This is a gift to you, a gift of silence. And the busyness of life is just a time for you to pray, to talk with Jesus. Um, Acts, what we see in Acts 5, church, is, uh, is a prayer request fulfilled. The only reason Acts 5 is happening is because the church gathered in Acts 4 and they prayed. They prayed for boldness. They prayed for the Spirit of God to be poured out uh, in signs and wonders for the gospel to go forth. If you were here when we preached on Acts 4, that, so what's happening in Solomon's portico is because they prayed. They prayed. And so pray today. If you don't have passion and compassion for the, the lost or you have fear of man, ask that God would give you a compassion for the lost that supersedes uh, your fear. Ask God to fill you with your spirit, to give you boldness to preach his gospel. And use this moment, this moment of silence. Um, I'm not preaching for an hour and a half this, <laughs> this morning. And we have a gift of silence here for a little bit for you to do that. And if you are here today and you've never talked to God, you've never enthroned Jesus as Lord of your life, today would be a great day to do that. He's present in this room. He's present. His spirit is here. And so if you've never done and made the best decision of your life, just responding to the decision Jesus made for you, his yes for you on the cross, do that today. Ask Jesus to come and to wash you clean, to forgive you of your sins. Admit your need for his salvation, his forgiveness. Believe that he died on the cross for you and he rose to new life so that you could rise to new life and have eternity with him and commit your life to him. It's the ABCs of taking that first step into faith, admitting your need for Christ, believing uh, uh, he is the son of God who died for your sins and rose to new life for you. And then you surrender, you commit your life to him saying, Jesus, I want you more than anything else in my life. You're my creator and you're my savior. And, and I confess that you are Lord today. And, and if you make that decision today, if you pray that prayer, you, there's a transfer that takes place where you are rescued from the kingdom of darkness, from eternal destruction, eternal separation from God. And you are rescued. You are rescued with the inheritance, the future of your life looking like eternal life, saved and redeemed with King Jesus, enveloped in his love forever. That's what Jesus Christ came to do, was to die to save you and to set you free from the curse of sin. So let's go silent. And let's talk to our Savior. Talk to our King. Use this time. Use this time to connect with your living Savior who's in throne.
hearts of praise and adoration and affection for you. Thank you for your love, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the incarnation. Thank you for putting on flesh and walking among us. Thank you for your beautiful nail-scarred feet, Lord Jesus, that came running for us, that stepped into the valley of the shadow of death to conquer our enemies, those that were too great for us, those that had us enslaved and held in chains forever. You broke those chains off of us. You've set the captives free. You've rescued us from the clutches of death and darkness and sin forever. You've set us free. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It would be the greatest honor of our lives, God, to have our feet look like yours, Jesus. There could be no greater honor in our lives than to follow in your footsteps. So we raise our hands today and we say, here I am. Send me, Lord. Send me. Lord, would you send us the broken? Would you send us the lost? Would you send us the afflicted? And when they come here, and when they, when they encounter the real resurrected King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. We pray, Lord, that the transit church would be like Solomon's portico, an outpost of your kingdom, advancing powerfully through the power of your spirit, your kingdom, pushing back darkness and bringing restoration in our broken world. And send us, Lord God, as you send people to us, send us out of these four walls. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would anoint those today, God. As this week, as they return to their work, their neighborhoods, their communities, that you give them opportunities to speak the words of everlasting life in Christ Jesus. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would, uh, your spirit would speak and lead and move and highlight to us who you want us to reach out to this week and love, who you want us to serve, where you want us to go. We want to keep in step with you, Holy Spirit. And so may we posture our hearts in humble obedience to you. And so we come before you grateful and saying thank you for your beautiful feet, Lord Jesus, that marched to the cross to bear our sins and our iniquities. In you, we have life. In you, we have love. In you, we have a firm foundation that will never be taken from us, that can never be taken from us. So we love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen.